HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Many Kitchens, the one-stop shop for all things foodie. Discover the best artisanal foods that America has to offer. Shop for more at manykitchens.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Um, today's show is very timely uh, with what's going on at Time Magazine, of all places. There was recently a cover of uh, three male chefs called The Gods of Food. So I want to put the caveat out there. We are not talking about that on this show at all. <laughs> Absolutely no word of that for the reason that this isn't pitting two genders up against each other. This episode is about celebrating one specifically at the moment. The ladies of Cherry Bomb, Carrie Diamond, Claudia Wu, thank you for being on. Hey, Michael. Happy to be here. Yeah. Well, again, no discussion of that, but obviously this is a female-centric magazine. Um, let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? <laughs> Raised? What did you cook, eat? Because was... A food design beauty magazine always in sight. Good question. Uh, I this is Carrie. I was born in Staten Island, New York, so I'm a native New Yorker. I've always lived here. I was not raised uh, in a food centric family in the least. Friday night was pizza night. Um, we had lots of uh, tacos. This is very telling of of what kind of household I was raised in culinarily. We would my mom would buy the El Paso taco box that came with the taco seasoning. And when she made the ground beef in the skillet, she would throw away the taco seasoning. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's everything you need to know about how I was raised in terms of food. Yeah. And Claudia? I was born in Toronto. Actually, I moved here when I was two with my family. 
Um, my mom was actually a great chef. She always cooked dinner, always, you know, made sure we had food. And she was a great cook. She was like one of seven, eight, seven or eight kids. So they all, like, she, and she was like one of the older ones. So, like, they'd all have to cook for, like, the younger kids. Um, so we always, you know, she went grocery shopping all the time. She cooked, you know, as a treat, we'd get to go to Burger King, you know, once in a while if she got sick of cooking. <laughs> But yeah, um, my mom was great. You ate healthy, didn't you? No, yeah, I'm she interviewing was like, Claudia. <laughs> super. Yeah, she was pretty healthy. She still is really, really healthy. I mean, that comes into play. That that is a factor of what Cherry Bomb is. Mm-hmm. There are so many topics from fashion, beauty, health. Um, you know, and it's not about interviewing or profiling the subsidiary women in food. Even though you do have chefs in there, it's showing that there's such a big food community mm-hmm. out there. You know, there's not one specific type yet alone one specific gender. Um, I've been struggling with introducing this as women in food. Uh, We'd like to say women and food. Yeah, because in mm-hmm. food is just like plop down in a giant bowl of pudding or something like that. That just doesn't make sense. But it's women and food and how those two uh, things intersect and amalgamate. Um, I mean, let's speed forward from that youth. Work for the two of you. Uh, there was a felicitous meeting at Harper's Bazaar. Mm-hmm. What, what were you doing at that point? I it was right when uh, Stephen Gann, who was my boss at Visionaire and V Magazine, I was at V for like two years maybe, was art director. Um, he just gone to Harper's Bazaar, so he brought a couple people from V and Visionaire up there, and Carrie. I was the beauty director, which is a is a crazy job. It's hard to. It still even believe a job like that exists. You just basically play with beauty products all day, and you go to beauty events and you write stories about the beauty products and interview people about their favorite beauty products. And I worked, you know, I can't even remember, like Claudia and I crossed paths. It wasn't like we were total buddies when we were at Bazaar, but we stayed in touch over the years and reconnected when she was doing Me Magazine. We'll talk about Me Magazine in a sec because I stumbled upon it in 2004 and was very lucky to do so. But back to beauty. What are you wearing today? <laughs> uh, and in, I don't mean like terms red of, carpet line, like topically. Uh, makeup. I used to work for Lancome. I was the head of PR for Lancome for a while. And I, uh, my, the secret to PR, good PR for me is representing something you really like. And I did happen to like that brand a lot. They do have great products. <laughs> They're not sponsoring this segment yeah. of... <laughs> Heritage Radio, but um, yeah, I like Lancome. Claudia, do you wear makeup? Do you, you know, desire certain fashion, uh, you know, designers? No, not really. I, I mean, I, I do wear makeup. Uh, I used to not wear makeup at all, and then I, I started getting older and looked at myself <laughs> in the mirror, and I was like, whoa. Yeah, that's why I do. Radio. Does help. <laughs> I should give a shout out to. I am wearing a sweater by uh, Zero Plus Maria Cornejo. And it was made, uh, it was knitted by these women in Bolivia. And Maria is an amazing New York City based designer. She lives in Brooklyn. And she, aside from the pieces knit in Bolivia, she actually makes all of her pieces in New York City. She's fantastic. She's actually an issue number two. See, I I think that's fantastic that, you know, on the surface, these things exist. uh, And not that they're utilitarian, but they're there for a reason and they're not there to flaunt. And I think that's what's so amazing about Cherry Bomb thus far. Even though it is a very visually driven magazine, 
uh, every story I've read, every profile I've you know gone through is so endearing, and there's such a, a base and a foundation, not to use the cosmetic terms, um, for why these people are inclusive of Cherry Bomb. And from Harper's Bazaar, where was the concept for this magazine? What was, what was the driving force behind this? Well, the, the way it all started, uh, we, I, I mean, I guess you'll talk about this, but I own some restaurants in Brooklyn. I own a restaurant called Searsucker, a coffee shop called Smith Canteen, and a Vietnamese restaurant called Nightingale Nine. When we, op- my boyfriend, Robert Newton, and I boyfriend own the restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> We're not married. <laughs> and we uh, opened Searsucker. And, you know, I mean, Michael knows this. When you open a restaurant, people come out of the woodwork about you doing a cookbook. So people were coming to us about doing a cookbook, and we didn't want to do the traditional recipe picture, recipe picture. That's been done. There's so many amazing, beautiful, creative cookbooks, you know, from what Amanda Cohen did with her Dirt Candy cookbook. Um, So many great examples. And we really didn't want to do the typical thing. So I said, what if we do an annual magazine? And Rob said, that sounds cool. How do we do that? And I said, let me call Claudia Wu. She does Me Magazine all by herself, and she made it look so easy. (laughs) So I called Claudia, and we hung out a few times and just started talking. And somehow over the course of a few meals, the Searsucker annual magazine morphed into Cherry Bomb. So I had to go back to my boyfriend and say, not only are we not doing the Searsucker annual magazine, but I'm doing a magazine and you can't be in it. Well, let's talk about Me Magazine and, and the concept behind that and, you know, what functions uh, you played. I mean, you, you, you were a Me Magazine. Yes, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I think when you're kind of like working for other people, you, you know, there's that sense of frustration where it's someone else's thing. You're just kind of facilitating that. So I was going through that. And I uh, decided to do my own thing. Uh, and I learned a lot, you know, about magazines, but also about other people. Because ev- the concept behind the magazine was each issue was based around the life of one person. So it was kind of like an in-depth profile on this one person um, and their friends. Like, they would have their friends in it. We'd ask their friends questions about them. So, it was, you know, it's, it, was, it was really cute. And I think a lot of people appreciated it. A magazine that just wasn't, you know, covering trends or, you know, like kind of like more newsy things. You know, and it wasn't just cute. <laughs> you know, it was a lot more than that because you've taken some of those uh, ideas and incorporated them into Cherry Bomb. Just the way even uh, Alice Waters, and we just saw her here at Roberta's and we're all a little and all. Um, more than a little and all. <laughs> but the way you interviewed her by having other people, what was it, write in or... Uh, you know, provide you with the questions to ask her was this great way of, of, you know, bring the community into the magazine, into the fold, into the play. Yeah, exactly. We, the story's called Go Ask Alice. And we sort of have this cherry bomb community forming of people who are contributors and subjects and big supporters of the magazine. And so we asked a few of those women to contribute a question to ask Alice. And it kind of happened in a different way, though. I, Growing up, I loved that weird little book, Go Ask Alice. Did you ever read that? No. When I was maybe 15, 14, 15, it was a very big book in high school or grammar school or something about this girl has these awful drug problems. And 
I think it was one of those very exaggerated books. Maybe she does LSD and she loses her mind. And it's it it was probably written to be a cautionary tale, but I thought it was really fascinating. And then there was that song, Go Ask Alice, by it was a Jefferson Airplane. And so I just always loved that. And when we were, and I think I'd read a lot of, I looked at Lewis Carroll's um, Alice in Wonderland before we went out there because I just always loved that book. And there's an amazing amount of food stuff in Lewis Carroll's book. It's really great to read through it and just see what a fun time he had playing with food, literally. And so that's how it came about. But then it made perfect sense because Cherry Bomb really is about this community and and getting as many of these people involved as we can. Also, these visual inspirations from Alice in Wonderland to, you know, contemporarily, what you have on the covers. Let's talk about some of that community. Uh, issue one, cover girl, Carly Kloss. Why was she chosen and why was she photographed and portrayed that way? I, I don't I, know. You know why we chose, you know, do you, do you even know this, Claudia? It was Emily Weiss at Into the Gloss. Oh, really? Who suggested that. that we uh, shoot Carly. Carly wasn't on our list for issue number one. And a very good friend said, you know what? You should really, really think about Carly. She's got this great cookie company. She's working with Christina Tosi. They're donating the proceeds, a portion of the proceeds to the UNICEF uh, feed program. And so we reached out and her, she and her team were incredibly receptive. And we just wound up having a fantastic time with her. And Well, let's not gloss over the fact that mm-hmm. You know, she was also a Victoria and still is secret model. That's true. I, yeah, among other things. That, yeah, yeah, among, among other things. things. I mean, that really didn't factor into the decision. She's she's part of this community in New York that we happen to be part of. I mean, she's magazine editors love her. Fashion designers love her. She's in every fashion show. Um, she definitely represented the spirit of food and fashion coming together. People are making a big deal about like food and fashion coming together. And we get asked maybe once a day to answer that question. It kind of drives me crazy because I don't really think, I I think we're making something of maybe something that's not really there. Um, But Carly did happen to represent this very interesting project and we love that she was working with Christina and um, we didn't plan it as the cover. We didn't plan a cover. Like we, the, the, the issues happen very organically. Claudia can talk about that <laughs> more in terms of the look, yeah. but we, we started working on this story with her. We set up the photo shoot. We brought Jennifer Livingston, who's one of our favorite photographers. Claudia and I worked with her back at Harper's Bazaar. So our relationship with her dates back to that. And Jen is a very high energy photographer. Like she exhausts us on photo shoots. <laughs> and Carly is a very high energy model. And it was just like the perfect meeting of the minds and of everything. And when we got the film back, it was so obvious that that had to be the cover. So let's talk about the first issue, the tastemakers, and conceptually and visually how you wanted to portray those people. I mean, I think. I think we were lucky to get all the contributors we had. It's not like... I mean, we did try and go after some photographers that we wanted to work with, but in the end, I feel like it was... We had so much, like, support from, you know, people we've worked with in, in the past, and then, you know, some people we just reached out to. 
Um, I don't even know if there was a plan, you know? <laughs> there wasn't. I know. I wanted to say, Michael, you're being really generous yeah, by like even this, suggesting. Yeah, like we we had like really planned this whole thing <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, but sometimes it's about collecting and curating. And, yeah. and what you did with the information afterwards is retroactively a plan. <laughs> um, and I mean, let's talk about this community. And mm-hmm. not to shout out to this show, but I admire very strong women and uh a couple of the first people I worked for, Barbara Lynch, I spent three years in her kitchen, and she is one of the most influential people in my life. Mm-hmm. Lydia Shire I spent time with. So I've always sought out, I wouldn't call it a motherly person, but this, this ilk of person that only happens in, in women. So Power babes. You like power babes, yeah, Michael. I do, yeah. The majority Fess of up. my clientele and, and like my cohort seem to be within the demographic, but from <laughs> Michael won't say the words power babe. No, no, I will. I'm wearing a power babe t-shirt right now. <laughs> I'm representing, <laughs> but prunes, Gabrielle Hamilton, spotted pigs, April Bloomfield, Sophia Coppola, uh, adds a little prose about, you know, the French 75, um, Amelia, uh, Marden from, uh, the smile. Um, there's so many more Christina Tosi from Momofuku Milk Bar, Caitlin Freeman of Blue Bottle, Charlotte Druckmann, who wrote Skirt Steak, Diana Yen, Jewels of New York, um, Jennifer Rubel, Victoria Granoff. So I mentioned all these people. They've all been on this show, and I've never once asked, so what is it like being a woman? <laughs> what are questions like that that you hate to ask or don't want answered within Cherry Bomb? Oh, there's a long list. <laughs> And that's one of that's one of the questions. Um, what's it like being a woman? I mean, I don't think we we go on and on about the experience of being a female in a kitchen. I just it, it's just sort of we touched on it a little bit, I think, in the story about the Labal chefs in Paris because one of them was pregnant at the time, and anybody who's worked in a kitchen or been pregnant or has read Gabrielle Hamilton's book, you know, her sous chef quit, like, what was it, two weeks before she gave birth. Um, I think there are certain unique experiences that we want to cover, such as what is it like to be pregnant and working in a kitchen and running your own kitchen. But, you know, that stuff you talked about earlier, the whole Time Magazine controversy, I mean, that we're really not interested in in the whole, why aren't there more women in the kitchen? That's another thing we get asked all the time. We get asked to be on panels about why aren't there more women in the kitchen. And I find it to be such a narrow question. And it it sort of diminishes the contribution women are making in so many other areas of food. And that really is what Cherry Bomb celebrates. You know, you, you look at all these lists that exist of the best chefs and the best restaurants and the best this and that. And some of them don't have any women on them. And I find those lists to be so narrow because they're really talking about such a small percentage of the population. You know, we Mother Jones did an interview with us last week, and they were talking about the Pellegrino Top 50 list. And I said, you know, the chefs on that list are catering to the 1%, if even the 1%. And I don't know that many women who find that so interesting or compelling. I think one of the things that that sort of unites all the women in the magazine, the subjects and the contributors, is just this desire for community and this desire to do something that has purpose. And I think feeding rich people isn't the be-all and the end-all of what women are looking to do in the food world these days. So how do they nurture how do they nurture differently? Oh my gosh, a million, a million different ways. 
million different ways Claudia to answer that. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think we all kind of grew up in that age where, you know, our moms stayed at home and cooked. And I mean, to monetize, you know, someone's nurturing side. I, I don't know. It's I, I understand. I kind of get it why there aren't any women in the kitchen. It's like a very, very tough profession to choose, especially if you want to have a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, you know, in the end, life gives you challenges and restrictions and there are always going to be those people that won't let anything stand in their way. So, I mean, I think we could go person by person in the magazine, talk about what they are doing, I think, to nurture themselves, their families, their communities, their, their guests, their customers. I think everybody approaches it in a different way. You know, you mentioned Jennifer Rubel, look at someone like Jennifer, she... She was a chef. She was a writer, a chef, uh, turned artist. She was a food artist for for a chunk of time there. And now I think she's focusing on different aspects of art. But, you know, Jennifer's out there nurturing people's senses, you know, their visual sense. She's nurturing people's brains. You look at Emily and Melissa from 420 Blackbirds. You know, they opened a pie shop in Gowanus on 3rd Avenue. Everybody should go visit. It's Mm -hmm. not a very happening part of town. It's getting there. It's getting there. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they opened up a space to fill a need for a neighborhood. They, they saw a need gap there and they went there and they opened this great little shop and started serving pie. And I think that's nurturing an entire community in different ways. Well, I mean, on that, we're going to take a quick break and talk about experiences too, that are uniquely that of women, uh, from pregnancy to uh, so much more. Both of us are unqualified <laughs> to talk about pregnancy. Yeah, really. We don't have any children, <laughs> yeah. so just FYI. We'll be right back. You've been listening to The Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network. ManyKitchens.com, you can enjoy decadent caramel brownies, hand-picked teas, and fair trade coffee, oven-roasted chicken pot pies, and so much more. Whether you're planning a dinner party, sending a gift, or just want to try something new and delicious, Many Kitchens offers something for everyone. Help support small batch producers while you discover the best in artisanal foods from across the nation at ManyKitchens.com. Many Kitchens, the one-stop shop for all things foodie. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Durkel, here with the ladies of Cherry Bomb, Carrie Diamond, Claudia Wu. Is it is it bad of me to say the ladies? 
No, not no, at all. It's okay. I, I don't, don't like the term lady chef, but ladies yeah. is fine. <laughs> I don't like the term lady parts either. But we won't <laughs> talk about that right now. Different um, show. <laughs> you know, um, I want to talk about the end of uh, issue one before we start going into this beautifully recently released issue two. Um, it's about expectations. And there is a female pitmaster in there. Uh, what's her name? Helen Turner. We love Helen. Where is she from? Uh, Helen is from Brownsville, Tennessee. And I first met Helen through the Southern Foodways Alliance. I'm a member of the SFA. I think it's an amazing organization. And Helen won an award at the symposium in 2012. And a bunch of us got into our cars at the end of the symposium and drove to Brownsville to go try Helen's barbecue. And it was awesome. And we loved her. And the place is a shack. And it just stuck in my mind. And this this will kind of give you some insight into how our stories sort of evolve. But I had worked in the past with a photographer um, named Kelly Stewart. And Kelly has a blog called The Glow that she does with her friend Violet. And they do these beautiful photos. And they are very glowy. So they are they are appropriately named The Glow. So when I was at Helen's, there was all this like amazing light streaming in, in this little space. And she has her pit in the back. So it's really smoky and you've got this, this sunlight pouring in and the smoke. And it just looked so atmospheric and beautiful that when we were talking about who should photograph Helen, Kelly automatically came to mind. So we flew down to Nashville. A friend, Thomas, picked us up and drove us to Brownsville. I got us totally lost. And I was really, really nervous because the sky was totally gray. Kelly shoots natural light. We got there really late, and the clouds parted. The sun came out. It poured in her place exactly where it needed to pour in. Kelly stayed back there for like a half an hour, like in the smoke. Poor Kelly came out and just had tears streaming down her eyes. And she said, this might be the best story I ever worked on. And we didn't know if she was crying from the smoke or crying from the joy of working on this story. <laughs> and we were so excited to be down there and so crazed about getting there on time that we ordered food and we forgot to order food for Kelly and the kitchen closed. <laughs> but Helen made her some food. So um, that's how Helen wound up in there and how we wound up working with uh, Kelly, the photographer. I hate to ask this question, but tasting in the blind, would you know a woman made that barbecue? Uh, no, I mean, you wouldn't know you wouldn't know a woman made anything. It could be a, a piece of clothing. It could be a slice of cake. It could be some barbecue, wine. You would never be able to figure it out. Fragrance. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> you know, because I find it such a moot fact when mm -hmm. you explained it wasn't about she was like this, she was like that. You know, explaining the scene, uh, you know, really describes the situation, uh, the person. And, mm -hmm. you know, these things are personal. Um and they're one-offs. It's it's not about clumping anyone into any defined role or you know thwarting expectations. So I found that to be one of the more charming articles because I never once thought of her, Helen, um, as anything other than Helen, and doing what she does. Mm -hmm. And it was so beautifully uh, shot, as as you explained, but also just you know uh, such a soft tone and respected uh, voice. So. I mean, there does have to be an aesthetic element. That That's one thing that goes into how we choose what makes it into the magazine. It can't just be enough that you're a great chef, you're an amazing person, you're this or that. 
there does need to be that aesthetic element, like well, I talked about with Helen's Place. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your cover girl for number two, Aaron McKenna. Why her? I mean, I know it's the Baker's issue, but why on the cover and why photographed in a similar light as Carly? I think, again, we really didn't plan a cover story. <laughs> There's a theme here. We just, uh, you know, we just, like, shot a bunch of stuff. And, you know, we we love Jennifer Livingston and her style. And, I mean, and Aaron is also an amazing human being. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a big factor. You also have to be an amazing human being yeah, no, to be in the no, magazine. No mean people in the magazine. <laughs> no mean girls. Um, so I think it was just one of those things that we got the film back and we were like, wow, you know, let's let's do this, you know. Yeah, Erin has a great story. I mean, she's one of 12 children, which is just phenomenal. And she had this idea for this vegan gluten-free bakery before the thing, the whole movement took off. Before the celiac attack, as I like to call it. Exactly. <laughs> and she was a waitress at Lupa, I think, and raised all the money herself you know, told her mom, I'm going to open a bakery. And her mother was like, but you have no money. You've never owned a bakery. You've, you're not a baker. And she was like, I know, but I just have this feeling I'm going to, I need to do this. Feeling and vision. I mean, you walk into that store and it has such panache already. Uh, and it, it's very focused. She's an original. Yeah. The other reason we put her on the cover, there were a few factors in play. I mean, we definitely loved that photo. We loved... The fact that she had that Susie Homemaker vintage oven like hoisted on her hip and it was just, we felt, a really iconic image, especially given that Susie Homemaker back in the 60s, 70s, early 80s really represented, it was a term of sort of oppression for women. You know, there was a famous Newsweek cover that said goodbye Susie Homemaker and it was all about the feminist movement. And today, you know, the kitchen doesn't represent oppression anymore. The kitchen represents opportunity and creativity um, and I totally lost my train of thought. Well, I mean, I think we couldn't ask for a better segue to Jessamine Rodriguez mm-hmm. in Hot oh, Bread Kitchen. Um, talk to her. Talk to me about who she is and what she's doing. That it's almost an antithesis to that. Maybe you should do. You want, about do you want me to yeah. talk about Jessamine? Uh, Julia Tertian did that story. Julia is definitely an important part of the Cherry Bomb community. She's a great writer and a chef. Uh, Jessamine Rodriguez is the founder of Hot Bread Kitchen, which is. I, I can't come up with a great term for what kind of business that is, but it's like a charity bake. It, you can't even call it a charity bakery. That just sounds so lame. But it's a bakery with a charitable mission to hire immigrant women and help train them for these jobs. And they provide language lessons for them. They provide all sorts of lessons. At the same time, Hot Bread Kitchen also has an incubator program. So if you're looking to get a business off the ground, they can provide mentoring and space and all those sorts of things. And for anybody who's ever run any kind of food business, the hiring and the staffing is the hardest part of it. So the fact that Jessamine is going out of her way to work with a community of people that need an extra level of help is really admirable. I mean, Jessamine, in the same way that Aaron does, really represents this spirit of, of what we like to think Terry Bomb is all about. Let's talk, you know, that's someone that's kind of redefining women's careers in that sense. These immigrants coming in, baking things from, I'm going to mispronounce this, Miss Mems or 
Right, the, yeah, yeah. that's tricky. Yeah, and fact, con- and conchas. Fact checking that was yeah. interesting. <laughs> but I mean, this this breath of bread. Um, it's just it's a good one. Yeah, I alliterate. <laughs> um, it's, it's kind of an amazing uh, collection of not just product but uh, of people. Um, but then you have someone who is so defining uh, when it comes to bread. Uh, and I stalked her a little bit uh, while she was going to school at Harvard. Apollonia Poilan. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about her profile. I think that's one of our favorite stories in the issue. I mean, we're very lucky to have uh, Alex Marshall, the the writer, uh, being... Alex is one of our regular contributors, and Alex did that story. She's based in Paris. And I was familiar with Apollonia's story. I kind of don't want to give away her story for people who are going to read the magazine because it's it's sort of astounding and sad and tragic at the same time. But she... She, again, in the same way that Jessamine is, in the same way that Aaron is, she is a very formidable human being and has overcome a lot of things. And if you've been to Paris and you've walked past a Pauline bakery and gone in and had their pain au chocolat or bought one of those big boules. The sizzle, with the sablés come out of the oven mm-hmm. and they like sizzle on your tongue. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's pretty prophetic. Exactly. And we're big Francophiles too at Cherry Bomb. Like my <laughs> dream is to do a Paris issue. So it was really an honor to have Apollonia in the issue. Did you two go to school together? No, no, but I worked over in Cambridge. Uh-huh. And I already was a bread fanatic at that point and a Francophile alike. So knowing that she was there, I thought I'd kind of rub elbows. So I actually spent a day staging in Poilant. But that's for oh, did you really? episode. We'll oh, talk, very cool. We'll talk about that. And, you know, her sister supposedly lives in Brooklyn and is a jewelry designer. No, I did not know that. Another person on my stock list. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Um, you know, I also want to, it's like a cross-promotional shout-out. Thank you for uh, a couple things, for representing Heritage Radio Network in your book. Uh, our executive director, Erin Fairbanks, was an it girl in, in the first. And, you know, what she's doing for Heritage as a whole, um, I mean, Heritage wouldn't be a whole without her. One. Two, an amazing piece uh, with Nicole Taylor uh, of Hot Greased and uh, Jessica B. Harris, both who record here. Um, And, you know, this brings me to the point where not only are your subjects, but all your contributors are women. What is it like having a conversation between two strong women like Nicole and Jessica? And, you know, what is drawn out that wouldn't normally be said? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. When that whole story came about, I didn't know Nicole and Jessica already had a relationship. And I think Nicole was at Seersucker one night, and I was like, hey, do you ever want to write for, for Cherry Bomb? And she said, sure. And we have, my boyfriend and I have a lot of Jessica's cookbooks, and I just found Jessica to be this amazing, what's that term, multi-hyphenate? You know, she's a professor. She's got a radio show. She's written 12 cookbooks. She's like the one of the leading experts on foodways of the African diaspora. I mean, so many interesting things about this woman. She's lived in Martha's Vineyard for years. She has the cutest house there. She collects this amazing vintage jewelry. So she was really just perfect. So I said to Nicole, hey, would you ever want to interview Jessica Harris for us? And she said, oh, that's really funny. We're very close. And I said, perfect. And I think they were driving to Martha's Vineyard and maybe even did the interview in the car for all I know. But... When Nicole turned that, so this is an example of sort of the way we work. When Nicole turned the story in, I was like, oh, Nicole, the story is amazing. It could really be twice as long if you want. <laughs> and 
Nicole was like, uh, yeah, I don't think I have time to <laughs> write twice as many words as I just wrote. But, um, but that's the hard part. We get these stories turned in and these women turn out to be even more amazing than we expected. And you're sad to let them go. You know, a thousand words doesn't do them justice, even though in any other magazine, a thousand, except maybe the New Yorker or Vanity Fair, a thousand words is a long story. But I felt like we did Jessica this weird disservice by only running, you know, every, well, we did run every single word Nicole wrote, but by only giving her a thousand words, I mean, I, she's someone you could do a 10,000 word profile on. You know, and it's a, it's a 172 page magazine. So there's a lot of content in there, but there are certain visual situations too. Um, I love the perfume pairing piece and just how striking that looked. I mean, you, you could have done a gallery show with those kind of images. And Claudia, how, how do you curate a photographer and, and, you know, a visual story like that? I think it's mostly about picking the right people to work on things. Um, I think we put a lot of trust into our contributors and our photographers. Um, we try and go on as many shoots as possible. And, but some shoots, you know, like the, in the second issue, there is a shoot with Catherine Losing, who's a photographer in London who's amazing. Um, she basically just like kind of sent us that idea and some sketches and we said, okay, like go do it. And she came back with something amazing. Um, so I think it's more about, you know, trusting, you know, we have amazing contributors and they know what they're doing, you know, and then they trust us to, you know, produce a story that's also similar, you know, make it look good in the magazine. So, yeah, we give a lot of creative control. You know, this air, this light that you're talking about, you know, from from a barbecue place in Brownville, Tennessee, um, kind of carries itself throughout the magazine. It's starkly white. There's not much darkness. What does that represent to you uh, as far as the visual language goes? <laughs> Claudia, we're all about the light. We're all about yeah. <laughs> we like white space. We do like white space. Um a lot of magazines don't. Uh, it's, you know, they just try and cram as much information onto the page as they can. And being 172 pages, we kind of have the la- that luxury of, of white. <laughs> and we're not scared of it. <laughs> I want to talk about one uniquely female situation, which I know neither of you have experienced, and that, that is pregnancy, mm-hmm. having a child. Um, there was a piece in there by Emma Straub, uh, whose husband, Michael Fusco, actually has been on the show. Love those two. Uh, who actually led me to you. Um, well, I mean, why was that piece in there? Did you feel like there had to be something that was so uniquely female, uh, you know, of a woman that... Because I don't think anything else in the book is. Um, maybe. I mean, I think we this had again. so many pregnant women in this baked <laughs> issue. Yes. It was not it was, even funny. Yeah. It was almost the pregnant issue. Yeah. yeah. Stephanie LaCava was pregnant. Um, Emma was pregnant. A lot of. Oh, Jessamine, who just had a baby. Jessamine was pregnant. We didn't even know that. Um, Justine D. You know D. what? Justine D. This goes back to Michael giving us way too much credit for the planning and execution <laughs> of Cherry Bomb. Emma, Emma's a friend. My boyfriend and I have worked with. Uh, her husband Michael and I felt that I had written too much of the previous issue and I said we need some we need some really good writers I, I don't I don't want to write so much of the issue next time and I said it would be really fun to get some 
some fiction writers in here. And I happen to love Emma's last two books, uh, Other People We Married, her collection of short stories, which is amazing, and then Laura Lamont's Life in Pictures. And I reached out to Emma, and I was like, oh, God, I know you're about to have a baby, but <laughs> we would really, really love to have you contribute to the magazine. And she was like, no problem, and turned in this amazing essay. I don't think we even talked about what she had to write about. Yeah. I think we just told her the theme of the magazine. And, you know, it was funny. Even though it was overtly uh, about her pregnancy, mm-hmm. the one thing that it kept coming back to is I have that fear, too. And it's about eating raw eggs during pregnancy or in cake <laughs> batter. And I'm like, when I was little, and mm-hmm. even even to now, if I don't know where the eggs are from or how they're treated, I, I worry sometimes about eating raw eggs. So then I'm like, maybe I have some compassion for pregnancy now after reading that piece. But again, it, it wasn't gender specific in, in that point. You know, it, it's something that happens in pregnant people's lives, yet alone, you know, a man's life, that, that fear of raw egg. You can never have enough raw cookie dough or raw cake <laughs> batter. That's the message we want to share with everyone yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's a greater message you want to share with everyone <laughs> today, too. And um, if you would be so willing to even preview the ideas of number three or oh, what God. you want to project for Cherry Bomb, because it's such, you know, I look forward to it, uh, mm. both issues that Aww. have come out. And I, I read through the majority of issue two last night, and you said, no, you're supposed to take six months to read that. <laughs> I can't. I, I just can't because it's such fascinating, intriguing work that uh, I'm excited to hear about what's the common, how you want to, you know, conceptually either change or keep steady uh, the vision of Cherry Bomb. I think, I mean, I think as a, the printed piece, we'd like to keep that going and just add to it, you know, maybe do some books and other kind of things that can <laughs> fall into this media company that we want to build. Right, Carrie? Exactly. <laughs> Claudia Claudia does once a day say to me, um, shouldn't we start issue number three already? <laughs> and I say, oh, God, I, I, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. But it's a merry-go-round. You just have to keep riding it. I know. It. I know. It's a merry-go-round that never stops. I think if there's anything I want to say, I really do want to say thank you. Claudia and I are definitely bowled over by the response. I mean, of course, you don't start anything unless you think it will find an audience or you have something to say. But we really are taken aback at how the magazine has been received and how people just got what we were trying to do from the very start. And we've been very fortunate to have so many great people who've wanted to write for it and contribute to it and be in it and men and women and just it, it, it cherry bomb is a thing now and it's kind of shocking to us. And yeah, you're kind of, I don't know if anyone's ever done projects, you know, from scratch, but you, you're kind of working in a vacuum for, I don't know, like a year, I think we worked on this. Mm-hmm. And you don't you don't ever think past, you know, the end, really. <laughs> and then once it's out in the world, it's not your own anymore. It's kind of like, has its own life. So, yeah, I mean, the response has been amazing. Um, and hopefully we'll keep going. Yeah, so we're just grateful. I don't want to go all tootsie on you, but, you know, I, I do want to contribute in a way. And I've seen a couple men sprinkled in the magazine. One of them is dead, if that makes any difference. Irving Penn. <laughs> no, but you've had a, a hairstylist. You, Matt Owens did illustrations. Um, you had a food stylist, Ian. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there a place for a man in this magazine? I think so, definitely. I mean, we Milan took some pictures for the last one. Um it, 
I mean, definitely. We, yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> in no way, reading it, uh, mm-hmm. holding in my hands, do I feel like this is a girl's only magazine, a woman's only magazine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just they express um, and celebrate that mm-hmm. one side. And for all of you that want to talk about mm-hmm. gender issues, listen to Aaron Fairbanks' rap on HeritageRadioNetwork.org in response to the Gods of Food issue of Time Magazine, and that will say everything you need to know. Carrie, Claudia, thank you so much for being on. Can't wait for issue three. I know I have to wait six months, but I'll be waiting uh, with bated breath. Um, Thank you, Michael. Michael. Welcome. Go to Cherry Bomb, and that's Bomb with an E, right? B-O-M-B-E. Joan Jett, was she an inspiration? Absolutely. We were going to play it, but we don't do it. We can't get the rights. It's all unlicensed music. Here. <laughs> Can we sing yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, do it. If you guys could rock out Cherry Bomb, we could fade out. <laughs> no? I don't want to lose any subscribers. Okay. <laughs> Thank you again for listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.